Welcome to the GVA Legal Podcast. My name is Jean Kambumi and I'm your host. On today's episode, we will be discussing immigration. Specifically, we'll be talking about hiring foreign employees. Kenya is one of the largest and fastest growing economies in Eastern Central Africa. And because of this, it has a thriving market and a large number of foreign nationals migrate into Kenya for work. So to discuss this topic in studio with me is Kamal Onyango. Kamal is the Human Resources Director for CCBA Kenya, CCBA being Coca-Cola Beverages Africa. Welcome, Kamal. Thank you, Jean. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us. So I want us to go straight into it. And I want to ask you this question. So Kamal, from a HR perspective, what do companies need to know before hiring a foreigner in Kenya? All right. Thanks, Jean, for that question. There's a lot of things that people, uh, employers need to know and to consider uh, before bringing in an expert. That's what we, you know, that's usually the, the HR lingo, expert yes. or foreign national into the organization. Um, and one of the questions that, you, you know, the organization needs to start by, is this a, you know, is a foreign national coming with a critical skill set that cannot be found internally, locally, or actually within the organization before you actually consider bringing in an expert or foreign national because of the many implications which you will speak through. Um, the other question you need to ask is how long do you need this national uh, or foreign expert to be around or going to be based here in Kenya? And the reason I ask is one of the questions when you are putting in an application for a work permit for a foreign national is, is there someone internally who you are developing to succeed? They usually term this as an understudy and require that, you know, the organization brings in sufficient evidence to show in as much as that talent is not available locally or within the organization. As an organization, we are doing something to build local talent to be able to take over from this, uh, from the expert or foreign national who joins the organization. Again, um, a foreign national can be with an organization, anything from six months to one year or to two years. But in that duration, I, I would really advise that we start building in the local talent and capability to be able to take over because Kenya is seen as one of the markets with very, very key or good talent. You've seen how, you know, the unemployment rate keeps rising year on year and you get such qualified are people out there, but the more we bring foreign nationals, the more we keep increasing our own unemployment rate as an organization, I mean, as a country. Um, and the other things that um, organizations also need to consider are the legislative requirements, which are quite, you know, which are quite many. And one of them, of course, before you bring in a foreign nationals, you have to remember that they require a work permit. A work permit costs uh, currently 200000 per year. So know that if you're going to have a foreign national working for your organization, anything from, from two to four years, you just multiply the 200,000 by the, the number of years you want this person working um, within the country. So if it's two years, that's 400,000. That's three years, that's 600,000. It's quite costly. And it's, you know, the fee is reviewed year on year. And then, of course, there's a the processing fee, which costs anything from, uh, you know, 10,000 shillings currently and may be reviewed um, in the subsequent years. Our work permits can take anything from two to four to six months. I, ideally, they never give really a duration, but our work permit takes quite some time. And again, you can't bring in a foreign national until they have the adequate uh, permits in place to be able to work in Kenya. Then you will need to uh, register this person for an alien card. Um, what we term as an ID for foreign national, it's an alien card. 
And this card in itself helps also when you're registering the foreign national for statutory requirements. So there's aspects of tax that carry will, will need you to comply with as a, as a, as an organization. And then, of course, other statutory bodies like NSSF, NHF, believe it or not, foreign nationals are required to submit. And then there's a medical cover for a foreign national. Again, it also, I also want to call out that it also depends on your policies. Um, so I'll just speak in general um, around what are the normal policies that govern experts. But there's aspects around medical cover and medical cover for a foreign national plus their family. There are, of course, added benefits that come with experts and a lot of FMCGs or, you know, huge organizational multinationals, you know, have housing benefits, they have car benefits, they have security, they have school fees for, you know, children. And, you know, there's a certain range in which, um, this range in terms of schools that the children can go to, there's club membership. So it's quite costly. Some the expert benefits are also very costly. Um, and then most times um, when you bring in a foreign national law expert, most times, you know, there's a negotiated argument to pay them in U.S. dollars, which is a recognized uh, global currency. And because of the forex um, issues that we've been having, again, you can from time to time, month on month, one day you're paying a foreign national at, you know, at a, an exchange rate of 100 uh, USD to a Kenya shilling. And then, you know, in the subsequent six months down the line where we are now and we've seen the issues that we have with Forex, we are now sitting at 133, you know, um, Kenya shillings to USD. So it's quite, it's, it's quite a costly affair. And, you know, the biggest question after considering all this is do we have sufficient budget for it? So I always want to say before you bring in a foreign national expert, ask yourself all these questions with all these, um, pertinent uh, factors to consider is it the right um, direction to take and I like I really like what she said so to begin with the company has to ask themselves do we mm. not have a person locally who can fill this skill set is it a really specialized skill that only a foreign mm. national can meet because you have to answer that question and then I also like exactly. that it is not an indefinite rule that you cannot hire this foreign national and keep them here indefinitely you also have to prove that you are um, doing some sort of mentorship and um, capacitating someone who should ideally have that skill set um, to exactly. take on that role from the foreign national national at a given point. So you cannot have exactly. experts here indefinitely. But exactly. you've also brought in a very important thing. There are several implications. First of all mm. is the cost implication, the cost of hiring mm. the national, the cost of relocating them if they come with a family, mm. the cost mm. um, of their benefits um, that, they, that, then, that, that they would have had if they had the similar job in their country of origin, mm. and then mm. also the cost of exchange. So the foreign exchange may not look like much, but as you're saying, on a month-on-month -month basis, exactly how much you pay them differs mm. because, again, you're paying them in an internationally um, acknowledged um, rate. So whether it's USD mm. or it's Euro or it's G the Great British Pounds, that, that exchange rate change does have an impact on the institution and you will feel that change um that cost implication. But then there's also the tax implications where you remit the taxes, the things that are required for you from KRA. And also, and I never knew this, that foreign nationals, experts pay our statutory deductions. So yeah, NSSF, yeah. <laughs> NSSF and NHF 
still apply to foreign nationals. Now, I want to ask you the last question. Well, and in terms of work permits, I wanted to make this clear to our listeners that legally speaking, there are about nine classes of work permits. So there's class A that deals with mining and minerals. There's class B that deals with agriculture. Class C that deals with specialized professionals. So that would be like a doctor, a nurse, Mm -hmm. a lawyer who's not coming to practice in Kenya. And then class D, I think is the one that you were relying to that has a a fee of about $2,000 or 200,000 shillings, which is a specific person coming to be employed by a specific employer. So that's Mm. where Coca-Cola would then take on the role of applying for the work permit for that individual and would state those things that we have said. Mm. Do you take on this role of hiring the foreign nationals yourself or do you outsource this? Yeah, to be honest, yeah, we, it, you know, it's, it's, we outsource it and there are very many reasons why they outsource it and why I say outsourcing, you know, in as much as yes, you can take on the benefit, but outsourcing has some leverage because aside from managing the administrative aspects of hiring and onboarding an expert, again, dealing with government agencies or, or institutions is not easy. By the time you go to immigration, you have to know who to speak to, how to uh, submit the application. Sometimes applications get lost. And when we outsource the outsourcing agencies, and there are very many out there, I mean, there are very many outsourcing and consultancy firms that offer support um, when it comes to immigration services, are the ones to help you follow up with your application, help it fast track where possible, uh, keep you abreast and, do you know, make sure that you're submitting all required documentation so that, you know, your application doesn't stop along the way because you did not submit a particular document. So aside from the administrative aspects and hiring and onboarding of an expert, they also provide us with consultative support and legal advice. And sometimes they, you know, sometimes and along the way, in part, inside, you know, in, in as, as we partner together with the agency, they also, um, you know, do an audit. Um, just to ensure that we are compliant with the Kenyan immigration laws and there's no risk or exposure to the company. Again, people assume when you bring a foreign national, you hire them, you give them the benefits, you're okay, you're good to go. However, there are Kenyan legal um, immigration laws and there are myriad of them that we need to ensure that we comply by so that you have no risk both to the individual um, and to the organization as well. So are we remitting the statutory directions in the right way? Are we complying with all the work permit um, 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 documentations required? How long have they been in Kenya? What does it mean when you have an understudy? What does it mean if you extend their, their, their expert stay or their stay within Kenya, ETC? So they offer that consultative advice. They also do your audit just to ensure you're keeping the right records and you're compliant to the legislative laws from an immigration point of view. And sometimes I always, you know, I always see it's very beneficial to have a second eye, to have a third eye, to have someone that you can consult with because you can never know everything in totality. So aside from just the administrative aspects, there are benefits that come along with in terms of outsourcing. Not to say that you can't have this capability internally, but I, I also feel personally that it's also very efficient um, from my HR point of view, just to outsource and have a third eye support you in the process. Thank you for yeah. that. And I agree with you. Outsourcing is really helpful. Bear in mind that whoever it is, whether it's yourself who's doing it or you have um, delegated it to another um, officer within your team, um, they, there are also other roles that they have to play, their core roles. And even as you rightly said, the administrative, the time in, um, input into it, the back and forth, um, just that logistical element of it can take on so much time that it is better if someone else does that, does that primarily and you play 
a facilitative role and you follow up. Exactly. Now for our final segment, we will take a look at our book of the week. Our book of the week this week is Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Sometimes our book of the week is in line with our episode topic and sometimes it is not. This week, we were talking about the hiring of foreign nationals and the topic is in the realm of human resources. Our book of the week this week is not an explicitly HR book, but it does give a good explanation of modern human psychology. And that is important educative information for all departments in an institution, including HR. So again, a reminder, our book of the week this week is Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And in this book, the author explains that there are two systems of thinking. That's two ways in which human beings think. One is a fast, intuitive, automatic thinking, what the author calls system one. And the other is slow, deliberative, logical thinking, what the author calls system two. These two systems are what give the book its title, thinking fast and slow. So according to the author, our system one is gullible and biased, whereas our system two is doubting and questioning. But they're both important. Together, they help us navigate life. System one helps us to perform most of the cognitive tasks we need to do for everyday life, like recognizing your friends, brushing your teeth, or navigating your way home on familiar roads. That's how you can leave the house or work and get to work or leave work and get home and not really remember your route or how you got there or anything precisely from that route. It what enables you to go on autopilot. If you repeat a task many enough times, then system one takes it over and you can do it automatically or intuitively. System two on the other, but actually let me first also add that in order to quickly process the tons of stimuli that we take in daily, system one uses what are called heuristics or mental shortcuts to synthesize information quickly and make a decision. So for example, you see a shape and your brain quickly scans through your mental database to determine whether that shape is a predator or something that you need to fear. Then it makes a decision quickly and that's important because such a decision can save your life, but it can also lead to mistakes and unintended consequences. Just talk to American police system. Well, system two, on the other hand, helps us to analyze complex problems and do like math exercises or crossword puzzles. And even though system two is useful and you recognize that you need it when you're making a hard decision, it takes effort and energy to engage it. Now, I have two takeaways from the book. One, thinking slowly, deliberately, and logically takes effort, as I've said. And you're more likely to do it on to make a rational, logical decision when you concentrate, you focus on the task, and you have self-control. But if you're tired or you're stressed, then system one's fast, intuitive thinking takes over. So if you need to make an important decision that requires thought, make sure you're well-rested, that you carve out time to be deliberate about that decision, and that way you're more likely to activate your system to thinking. Number two, weigh the pros and cons of each decision. Intuitive system one thinking is gullible, it jumps to conclusions, and it's susceptible to biases such as confirmation bias. And confirmation bias is where you're more open to and you're looking for evidence that, evidence that supports your beliefs rather than what doesn't. So make sure that you're not looking for information that only fits in with that decision that you've already made or what you think or what you believe. Incorporate what are called counter examples. So that's evidence that contradicts your decision or your beliefs. 
I would highly recommend this book. And I've only given you a snapshot within the time I have available for me. But it's a very comprehensive book, which I highly recommend for everyone. Then you can learn about the different types of heuristics and the different types of biases that we are susceptible to in our system one thinking. But also you can learn about how to effectively activate your system two thinking and when it will be actually the appropriate time to activate your system two thinking. And that brings us to the end of this episode. I'd like to thank my guest, Kamalo Nyango. Thank you so much for joining us today and for giving us your wonderful insights. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm your host, Jean Kambuni. Tell us what you think about this episode and our new format. If you notice, we're rolling out a new format on our podcast, on our social media pages or on email. Our email address is info at gvalawfirm.com. You can also follow Gikera and Vadgama Advocates on social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as GVA Law Firm. Thank you again for joining us on the GVA Legal Podcast. Let's get free.